welcome back to another edition of the Cameron Brooks Podcast, Above and Beyond. So for this for this episode, I interview Aaron Carter. Aaron is a former Army field artillery officer. He transitioned out in 2014 and started his career with a company named Cordis. And Cordis at the time was an operating company within Johnson & Johnson, the global healthcare company. And within eight or nine or 10 months of Aaron starting at Cordis, that company was sold by J&J to a company called Cardinal Health. Cardinal Health is a very large medical distribution company. And so in this conversation, it's really fun because we talk about his, we talk a little bit about his transition and the conference and why he ultimately chose to court, go to Cordis and who they are and what they do. But then we get into the topics. Okay, what happens when your company gets spun off to another company? How do you deal with that? What do you do? We also get into topics like getting promoted and building your brand and managing your career in that way. And uh, I'm proud to report that Aaron uh, he's been a regional sales director for about a year and, and, and change, maybe 15, 16, 17 months. And in that time, he has earned the distinction of winning regional sales manager of the year, which is not an easy feat for sure. So we get into how he did that, what was important to him as it relates to building a team in order to ultimately find success. So excellent, excellent conversation with Aaron. I think you're going to really pull out some things that you can use and apply and be successful in your current career in the military and certainly be successful outside of the military. So I'm excited for you to hear the conversation. If you want to know more about Cameron Brooks, go straight to our website, Cameron-Brooks.com. Lots of media, lots of content focused on helping military officers gather information in order to make a decision. And and I'm not saying make a decision to get out of the military, but certainly make a decision about whether or not getting out of the military is right for you and your family, whether or not corporate America is right for you and your family. And if it is right, then the types of roles that you can engage in in corporate America. Of course, you can also pick up a copy of PCS to Corporate America, fourth edition written by Roger Cameron, co-authored by our president and CEO, Chuck Alvarez and our senior vice president, Joel Junker. So lots of information out there. We publish a lot of media and content so you can gain and access as much as information as possible. Okay, without further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron. All right, Aaron, thank you very much for being on the Cameron Brooks podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic and out here in beautiful Colorado Springs, Pete, how are you? Indeed. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm excited to chat with you. You know, you and I worked a lot, very closely together, obviously, when you were in the Cambridge program many years ago at this point. But uh, also, uh, we've kept in touch a little bit throughout the uh, throughout the years. And I'm grateful that you've shared some of your successes with me as you're kind of walking down this road. So anxious to hear more about what's going on in your life. So why don't we start at the beginning, or at least relatively at the beginning, compared to relative to our uh, relationship, tell us a little bit about your military experience. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm a 2009 West Point grad. I wrestled for a few years before I broke my shoulder and uh, company G4. Um, I commissioned as a field artillery officer in 2009. I uh, did my first kind of stint at Fort Carson. Uh, including a one-year deployment to Afghanistan, and then went to career course at Phil, and then over to Fort Benning, uh, where I finished up. And that's where I engaged Cameron Brooks about a year, year and a half before I got out. 
my my military time, you know, back back in the surge days, we didn't really need cannons in Afghanistan, so I had to turn a bunch of cannon cockers into infantrymen, and so that was its own interesting uh, leadership challenge. Um, and then, did, like I said, was a platoon leader over there in Afghanistan for a year. Mm-hmm. When you came to the conference, and I know you and I had had multiple conversations about this, but when you came to the conference. You were mostly focused on, and I don't know about mostly, but heavily focused on sales. You saw yourself in a business development uh, type of customer-facing oriented role. And, and, and when I look at how you ranked all the companies at the conference, every single company that you ranked near the top was in a business development customer-facing role. So how did you know you were interested in sales and perhaps why were you interested in sales? Because a lot of people aren't that way. Like, oh, sales, you know, they have this massive misconception of what business-to-business sales is. How did you get there? Yeah, so what you just described with the whole was not there, um, business-to-business sales, didn't really think much of it. That was me, actually, initially. Um, I didn't know that I was interested in sales, honestly, until I did, I think you guys call it the personal marketability assessment, the, kind of the first step in Cameron Brooks. I did mine with, with Rob, and he told me he felt like I had the sales gene, and I didn't agree with him. Uh, and uh, I said, nah, I don't think I want to do that. I want to maybe consulting or or you know analytics or something like that. And then um, he referred me to the reading list. And one of the books that I read that really kind of changed my perspective was uh, Integrity Selling for the 21st Century. I don't know if that's still on your reading list for Cameron Brooks, but that is one that I recommend to people all the time trying to get into sales because it really helped me to shape my mindset on what sales was. Um, then I started talking with, uh, with Cameron Brooks throughout the process, and I realized the compensation available in sales and, and really that it's, it's not one person trying to strong arm another person. It's a partnership. It's solution finding. And, and then when it came down to that, um, it sounded really interesting to me. And then the other thing was just the autonomy involved. Um, you know, I, my, my time in the military, I enjoyed, but the, the, the part of the military I didn't enjoy as much was the bureaucracy aspect. You, put in your time and you make the next rank, no matter if you're 90th percentile or you're 30th percentile. And I, I really, uh, I really didn't appreciate that as, as much as some people do. So I kind of ran the opposite direction. And, and that's what the, really the main thing about sales that, that caught my, caught my eye and ear um, that you're paid based on how you perform. Yeah. I'd like to hear about your company before, before we get there though, um, 13 companies at the career conference said yes to you. And, and that doesn't mean you received 13 offers, but you did receive multiple offers when the whole thing was said and done. But a lot of companies said yes to you at the conference. Why, including a consulting firm, which you ranked pretty low, almost at the bottom from the conference, why did you ultimately maybe describe who Cordis is and why did you ultimately say yes to them? Sure. Um, so the kind of the way that we did it back then was when I ranked my companies, all five of my top companies were, uh, or maybe six or seven were sales. I think most of them were medical, maybe one wasn't. Um, but Cordis was not my first ranked um, choice going into the follow-up interviews. Uh, I kept an open mind like uh, you and Joel and Chuck had asked me to do and uh, went around to the interviews and just tried to find 
um, the best situation for me, the best career fit and the best location and, you know, the best thing for my family. So, um, like I said, Cordis wasn't my number one choice. It might've been my number two. Um, but basically the people that I did my final interview with, with Cordis convinced me. So Jason Martin is a former Navy SEAL and now he's a corporate account manager for Penumbra and Kathy Kennedy, um, was a, a regional vice president essentially for Cordis back then. She's now the worldwide VP of sales and marketing for CAE healthcare. Uh, both of these are people that I still keep in touch with. And honestly, they just convinced me that the, the opportunity, um, they, they were giving me, uh, I really felt like I wanted to build something myself. I didn't want to inherit a ship that was already built. I wanted to be given kind of some virgin ground and able to go and figure it out and either drown in my own waves or, or, uh, or build the ship. And, um, that's what they gave me in this, the, my first territory, which we can talk a little bit about. I, I wasn't even, mm-hmm. um, understanding how much travel I was going to be doing in that first job. Um, but they gave me essentially three and a half states of almost no business. And um, when it came down to it, that's what appealed to me most, just that challenge, the ability to distinguish myself quickly uh, with Cordis. Um, and, not, and, and not to mention the fact that it felt kind of like a startup as they were kind of undergoing a renaissance, but they were backed by Johnson & Johnson, which is, of course, a huge, huge player. Um, I remember some of our early conversations, big territory, kind of as as things are moving, which which I definitely want to ask you about how things shifted at, at Cordis. Before we do that, though, and I think I think just to give perspective to those listening who may not understand or appreciate that uh, about where you conduct your business in terms of the OR, can you just talk for just a moment, like being in the OR? What are you what are you selling? Who are you talking to? What's that all like? Yeah, so Cordis um, got its start basically inventing the interventional cardiology space. Um, what that means is, uh, you know, if an orthopedic surgeon is a bio carpenter, Cordis is a bio plumber. Uh, we uh, put angioplasty stents and balloons in and uh, diagnostic catheters into vessels to diagnose and treat um, vascular whether it be artery or vein disease or or abnormalities Mm -hmm. Uh, today as we stand cordis is a predominantly peripheral vascular medical device company which means that we're we have stuff to diagnose the heart and the brain but we're essentially treating everywhere else so predominantly legs uh, the neck the arms uh, the renals, things like that. Uh, Cordis is a 60-year-old company. Like I said, kind of blazed the trail, both in the uh, peripheral vascular, cardiovascular, even some of the neurovascular before they spun um, some businesses off of it. Uh, the, the kinds of places in the hospital we're calling on, uh, very much so the cath lab, uh, the interventional radiology lab, and vascular surgery. So in, in the clinical setting, three main call points. Uh, being the OR, the interventional radiology, and the cath lab. And then, I mean, as far as people that we're actually calling on, doctors, nurses, surgical techs, um, lab managers, and then the financial players. You've got your supply mm-hmm. chain, your materials management, all the way up to CEO of hospital chain sometimes. And the issue is, and, and maybe you could expand on this just for a moment, like when people say, when you when you're treating issues and the peripheral vac- vascular space. The the primary issue was in a was in a is when a vessel bifurcates or splits and goes in two different directions. 
that could cause challenges, right? So you're down in the, the femoral popliteal, you're up in the carotid, like well, just, just explain the disease state for us. Yeah, so um, predominantly older population, uh, a lot of diabetics and smokers and people who haven't taken care of themselves will get what's called peripheral arterial disease or PAD. Basically what that means is they've got fatty plaque buildup in their arteries, which is preventing blood flow to their, uh, to their distal limbs. So sometimes you'll even see um, people's toes are rotting off and uh, they call it um, ulcers. Um, on heels and toes and mm-hmm. gangrenous tissue and that's all due to lack of oxygen from lack of blood flow and so the job of our products is to go and to open those vessels back up basically so a stent is essentially taking taking this fatty plaque and pushing it up against the sides of the vessel walls in order for uh, the blood to be allowed to get through to where it needs to go now you're a West Point leadership major, Army field artillery officer, and now you sound like a doctor. And so how, how <laughs> hard or what was the what was the learning curve? Right. You, how is it that a that a that a Army field artillery guy can be in the operating room conversing with surgeons about, you know, distal limbs and arterial walls and everything else you're talking about? Like, t- t- help those who don't know understand how that can even be a thing. Sure. Um, first of all, a lot of hard work. Uh, you, you've got to, and, and a lot of confidence in yourself to go out there and make mistakes. Um, my first territory in Cordis uh, was essentially Colorado, New Mexico, El Paso, and some southern Utah. And I had nobody else in that territory with me. Um, my boss lived, I lived in Colorado. My boss lived in Houston, never came out and rode with me. I just kind of had to figure things out myself. Um, and when it comes down to it, th- our job as a sales rep is to produce revenue. Of course, it's to take care of patients and all of these other things that are, that are noble. But what, the, the reason that your company writes your paycheck is for you to produce revenue. So I had to initially, before I knew that stuff, I had to find ways to create revenue without being able to have those higher level conversations. And so I kind of turned myself into the business guy. I was the one that could go around to these financial people and incentivize them to give share Cordis's direction because of financial incentives and creative deals that made sense for everybody and things like that. After I've been with the company now six years, six years of being around it and being in, you just pick it up. A lot of what I learned, I didn't learn in training. I was standing in a cath lab uh, in the control room, which is the little room right outside the actual operating room and standing there with the tech and, and looking at a, uh, a radiographic image of an angiogram and saying, Hey, can you please explain this to me? What artery is this? What, what, how do you know that it's disease? Can you just tell me? And I learned more from that than anything else. Right. Right. So, so good. I do want to touch on the travel piece for a moment um, because a lot of times what we talk about when we're explaining sales is we say, you know, it's because most people think, you know, one, one of the common misconception is every, every sales job is a high travel job. You know, the, the old adage traveling salesman where really a lot of sales roles aren't traveling, right? They're, 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 um, uh, kind of focused in a major metropolitan city or maybe two metropolitan cities, but 
you're talking about covering down on three and a half states. So why is that? Why was that different for you? Why were you traveling more than more than some, perhaps? So I, I can't speak to how every company does it, but I would imagine most do it similarly. Uh, we draw our territories based not on geographical equity. We base it on on revenue equity. So uh, a, a territory is going to be, you know, in Cordis is going to be plus or minus, you know, 1.9 to 3.8 million dollars. Um, okay. So th that has to do with a few things. Um, number one, it could be due to uh, you could have a large, um, you could have a very small geographical territory because the rep previous to you did a really good job of getting a lot of business in a very small area and they needed to split that off or they they backfilled you uh, it could also be because of disease state um, colorado and utah are the two healthiest states in the entire united states as far as peripheral vascular disease goes so there's just <laughs> less cases going on uh, mm -hmm. when i had that territory um as a territory manager, I actually had parts of seven states, and there was another territory manager I knew in um, Orlando who his entire territory was one zip code. Um, it was uh, the Villages, which is a, a 55 and older retirement community, golf cart community of people with right. money and education who, who enjoyed their cigarettes and their, you know, their eating, um, and they needed peripheral arterial stenting and um so his so that whole person never traveled he like drove yeah he drove 10 minutes to his farthest account probably probably yep and yeah. so a lot of it has to do with it, it, you know we have we have two territories in new york city and cordis right now uh and mm -hmm. currently the the territory manager that works for me in colorado she has three and a half states so right. it just really depends about concentration of revenue and that has multiple factors involved in it too disease state and and penetration that is a great explanation and one that i think people that that are interested in this type of work can really latch on to you know like you said disease state and revenue and some of that has to do with you know probably has to do with demographic i was a sales manager in new york city and so yeah we had three reps in the city and two in Jersey and one on Long Island. And like, I never traveled out, you know, as a division manager, I never spent an overnight because it was so concentrated. So it's really, really good perspective. Um, let me change gears on you here a little bit, because I actually remember a text conversation that you and I had pretty early on in your, in your move from the military, from the army to Johnson and Johnson and specifically Cordis. I was on a plane. I was about to take off. And you shared with me that Cordis, and I, I don't think this had happened yet, but it was about to happen. And again, it was, man, I think it was like months after you started, but the news broke that that Cordis was being sold to Cardinal Health. Now, for those who don't know, Cardinal Health is a ginormous uh, medical distribution company, but they, but they're, but they've got now at this point in the game, five six years later, they're also doing a lot in terms of medical devices and reaching customers in other ways. But can you just start by telling me do you remember that conversation by the way that text conversation we had i do for sure yeah and so um, how are you yeah. feeling like tell me kind of walk us through that because that can be scary like some people don't want to leave the military because it's like oh gosh what happens if my company gets sold off to another company and <laughs> here you are three four months into the job and that that's exactly what happened and so 
help me understand that or walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely a kind of a interesting time. Um, it was about eight months eight months in, uh, I think. Okay. Um, I, I think I took the job in August, and they announced it in April. Um, but yeah, I was excited about working for Johnson and Johnson. They had a very robust kind of leadership development program. They, you know, basically if you ask, they'll help you with your your master's degree um, as far as uh, helping with tuition and things like that. Um, I had kind of gotten on board and, and all about being a J and J employee, one of the few companies remaining at that time that still had pensions. And I was just, you know, uh, it was. And anytime there's a there's a merger or acquisition, there usually comes with layoffs as well. I felt pretty confident I was going to make the layoff just because <laughs> we we didn't have a very concentrated sales force out in the Mountain West, and I didn't think they could go from two people to one person. Um, but uh, what happened actually was they um, they had Cardinal Health had purchased another kind of smaller startup company called Access Closure Incorporated previous to purchasing Cordis. Um, they are a, they had one product essentially, a vascular closure product, um, which I sold against. And then they purchased us and then they essentially merged us. So there were some redundancies and there were some layoffs and both sides lost some some good people definitely and, and then there's a change of leadership because Cardinal Health wanted to put a vice president of sales in who they knew as opposed to the old one from Johnson and Johnson and kind of everything that I had bought into now was was drastically changing not to mention the fact you kind of brought up previously Cardinal Health is not at the time at least was not really a physician preference medical device company their medical devices were latex gloves and surgical smocks and and the 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 socks that have the stickies on the bottom so you don't slip in the hospital you know much more commodities low margin high volume that's their business model and so them buying us there, there definitely was a lot of anxiety but um i and then the other thing too was my, my first year i grew that territory 50 percent and was president's club and feeling great about everything and they had told me that i was going to be promoted to territory manager in place in my same territory but anytime you have a merger there is consultants involved and next thing you know I'm not getting my own territory, not getting promoted, but actually uh, no decrease in pay, but actually a, a, a decrease in responsibility where I became a, a clinical sales rep or, or an assistant sales rep under somebody else. Um, right. And basically what I remember kept that, me, by the yeah. way. <laughs> yeah. Right. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, basically what kept me around was their willingness to keep my pay hole for the time being and and willingness for Cordis, even though all of this change was going on, to um, pay the remainder of my MBA, uh, what the GI Bill and my scholarship money didn't cover out of the Cordis sales mm -hmm. budget. So they decided to just gotcha. take care of me and keep me around. Yeah. How how did Lindsay feel when all that went down? Like you're like, hey, honey, we're uh, bad news. I know I've been out of the army for about a year, but we're we're about to get acquired by another company. <laughs> what, what what was she saying and thinking? You know, I think she trusted me. We, she had, I was stationed out here in Colorado and she wanted to get back and, and she loved it here. But, you know, she, luckily I knew you guys at Cameron Brooks and I knew that worst case, if I had gotten laid off or something, I could give you guys a call and either come to another career conference or just get some relationships that I had already built with some of the other companies 
through you. So we weren't scared from a career perspective, but it definitely was unnerving. I remember one day I had a conversation with her. Um, I said, okay, we had a call this morning uh, from, from the uh, national vice president and everyone's getting a call from their manager today. And just so you know, this could be a really good day. This could be a mediocre day, or this could be a really bad day. I might be right. getting a call that I have a promotion. I might be getting a call that I have a job, or I might be getting a call that I don't have a job. Yes. Well, that's good. Yeah, you guys. I mean, and that and that's really it. I, I just want to make a point here real quick, because I think that in the military, you know, you're either going to get promoted to the next rank or you're not, right? I mean, you're either passed over or you're not. And in corporate American, I just love the way you said that, and I like the way you handled it. And that is like, hey, we're out here. I've got, I'm building a skill set. I'm getting experience, and if this doesn't work, I can, I can sell my skills to another company, and be, be equally successful, if not more. And I think, you know, in the army, I like to say it this way: in the military, it's very binary. You're either in or out of the military. But in corporate America, there's a lot of places to go and a lot of nuance and a lot of things. I mean, you even said the two people that pulled you into Cordis from the Camel Brooks Conference aren't even at Cordis anymore, but they're VPs and doing great things in other places. So I just think it's an important point for people to appreciate because sometimes I think that that, that point gets lost. Um, I, just, I, I, I do yeah, think that. I, I, think, I think the military and, and the security, the quote-unquote security of job security and and you make the next rank or you don't it can it can make people uh slightly fearful about walking away from that and but i, I actually uh would rather bet on myself than bet on uh, a giant organization uh to be able to take to take care of myself and my family and once you develop those skills and your ability to sell your to sell those skills to other people your job security, maybe it's not in this specific role, but your your security yeah. of having a high-paying, excellent job is much higher uh, once you get to that point. You know, the bottom line here is you'll never worry about employment. You and I, you know, we haven't, we don't, we don't catch up regularly, but you and I have an extremely similar path, and you'll just never worry about employment. You'll always have a skill set that you can sell and be successful in, and that's got to feel great. You know what I mean? It does feel great. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about this maybe when we talk about my current job. But I just hired a guy in Las Vegas who was a fantastic ENT rep. Got laid off when his company cut 75% of their sales force in COVID, and I couldn't even get out because of my company's travel restrictions to meet him. But he was such a great rep, and I could tell his personality over video chat that I hired him within two weeks of him getting laid off, mm-hmm. without even meeting him in person. Mm-hmm. I do want to, I do, just in the interest of time, I do want to fast forward here a little bit. I want to talk about the promotion from being an individual contributor as a territory manager or a sales rep where you have responsibility for yourself, for your accounts, right? You're, you're, you're doing your thing as, a, as an army of one, so to speak, and now you're leading a team. First off, when did that occur and, and how did that occur? How did you get promoted? Walk us through that. So I was promoted uh, in July of last year. So it's been about a year and a quarter now. Um, okay. I, I owe a lot to a lot of people for that. Um, my uh, my former boss, her name is Amy Rafter. She was in, had my job before me. Um, she is the one that promoted me to territory manager and then saw something in me and, and developed in me um, so that less than two years after becoming a territory manager, I was 
able to get promoted to regional sales director. Um, the second person is my current national vice president. Uh, his name is Jerry Prather. Um, he was my former regional vice president. So he was my boss's boss when I was a territory manager rep. And then he moved up and then I moved up. So once again, now he's my boss's boss. And I think what I, what I learned early on is your performance is extremely important. But the only thing more important than your performance is your brand for the, uh, and what I mean by that is what are the people who can help you make or break your career think about you? Um, when we merged with Cardinal, uh, we had one leadership group and then kind of shortly thereafter, um, there was kind of a, a very abrupt change. We got a new VP of sales and this person hired all of the open leadership roles with outside people that he had known prior, which was kind of a scary thing uh, for a lot of us who were hoping to get promoted at some point. If they're going to just hire outside all the time, that limits our opportunities. But after meeting these people and realized they'd been successful and they were loyal to each other, I decided I wanted to be a part of that club. So when uh, my VP, uh, current national VP, my boss's boss, rode with me, the one time he rode with me when I was a sales rep, I looked him in the eye and said, Jerry, uh, the thing that's keeping me in this company right now is seeing how loyal you and the other leadership crew are to each other. And I want to be a part of that. I just want you to know I've got leadership experience and I'd love to have the opportunity to have that in the future. When my boss, Amy, my former boss, Amy Raptor left a year and change ago, they didn't interview anybody else. They said, Aaron's the guy. Here you go. Here you go. It's one of the things I talk about literally all the time. You know, in, in the in the military, the promotion system is a little bit of a conveyor belt, and I don't mean that in a negative connotation at all, but, you know, you, you keep your nose clean, you do your time in service, you do, you know, a good job, and everyone's going to get promoted. I say I, I'm just going to parrot exactly what you said. The two ways that must exist in order – two things that must exist in order to get promoted in corporate America is, one, you have to have performance – and two, you have to have a brand. It, both are required, but both, if you do that right. And a lot of people, let's just talk about having a brand for a second, because a lot of people not in this world will think, oh, you know, you got you to, gotta, you know, suck up to the boss in order to get promoted. But that's not it at all. Can you, can you comment on that? Just kind of vamp on that for a minute. It's not, yeah, it's definitely not sucking up. It's, it's having a relationship. It's being willing to... I got to plug my dad. My dad's been writing this book uh, for probably 20 years. It's not published. Maybe it never will be. But he taught me this. Uh, his book is was going to be called How to Train Your Boss. And uh, basically the premise is those who treat their bosses like they're the end-all, be-all, almost like some god. And it, th th it's really easy for the boss to turn around and treat them like somebody below them. But those who treat their bosses like uh, a, a colleague and uh, a professional and just someone who happens to have authority over them, but they have a personal relationship. Those are the people who get the respect of those above them. And that's kind of always been my philosophy. Uh, I, I, have, I, I talk about sports and kids and, and things like that with, with um, my superiors. Um, and I tell them my intentions. I'm very very forthcoming with what I want to do in my career, what, what I'm about. Um, and, and here is what has made me successful so far, because if they know that and they can see that and they can visualize me doing that again in a different role, I think I yeah. mentioned before, 
I was not the clinical rep. I was not the guy that was trying to chase surgeries cases and be in every single one. I was the one that was trying to win business in chunks uh, with financial incentives. And so every time I was around the, the higher ups, I would talk about what I was doing and why I was doing that. And it, it just helps people visualize you into higher levels of leadership. Final topic, and this is a big one, and, and one that I'm and I'm so happy and proud of you for. You you won Regional Sales Director of the Year last year. Um, t- tell us what that means, because people probably don't appreciate how important that is to your career, how hard it is to get that honor. How did that happen? Yeah, it was a, it was a wild wild ride this year. Um, so just to put it in context, uh, Cordes has 15 regional directors. Um, I'm in charge of the Northwest region, which is geographically the largest. Um, last Coming into last year, as far as revenue, was about right in the middle. Um, <clears throat> I had When I started the year, I had a 10-person team, and I had four vacancies, and I had only three of my 10 people that were starting the year in the same role that they were in the year before. So I walked into that job and was really able to build my team in the way that I wanted to, which was a little unnerving and scary being a first time manager, but also really fun. Um, Throughout the year, I had a couple more people leave and I was able to say, based on our performance, I think we are deserving of another headcount. So during the COVID outbreak, I was able to convince my management to put away the the funding to get me another person. So now I have an 11-person team. I've, I hired eight people in my first year um, wow. as a manager. Um, and really what it was was we figured out if you – especially when – my reps are traveling more than anybody else because our ge- geography is so much larger. We have to figure out what are what is the activity that produces revenue. We are not trying to just do as much as we can. We're trying to do the right things over and over. Um, the, I really lean heavily on the people um, that were experienced and there, the, the three or four of them that had been with us for longer, longer than a year at that point. And they carried the team. They, they had fantastic. Uh, a guy that I trained with initially six years ago, we came into the company together. We're actually the only two who came in uh, who are still with the company. Uh, he was the number one territory manager out of 90 this year. He's my Oregon uh, territory manager. Fantastic year. Really helped. Uh, the other thing was, though, we were talking about this before this podcast, but hiring. Um, one, of the, one of the books I read through the Cameron Brooks reading list is Good to Great. And uh, Jim Collins talks about uh, most important thing is get the right people on the bus. A, a lot of managers want to hire experience because it's really easy to say, well, if they did this well over here, they can do this well over here. I'm much more of the mindset that I want to hire specific types of people based on their intangibles, motivated, humble, hungry, people that want to succeed in and of themselves and don't need to be pushed to want that. I can develop the, the technical aspects, the, the selling, the, 
the clinical side of, of medical sales, things like that. But people who want to be successful, who are intelligent and are willing to put in the work to be, will be. And the, the, the people that I hired early in the year last year contributed so greatly to our ability to win region of the year and to get my award as sales director of the year. One of them took over a territory, was performing 83% to quota. And by the end of the year, she had it over 100. Just unbelievable. Right. Yes. Aaron, you do that so quickly I, in your role. It's so amazing. You, you uh, in, in a very short amount of time, six years now out of the military, you, you are your star is burning white hot. And, uh, and the things that you're saying, though, are so important and relevant. You've made so many important points that I think, I hope at least, that people can latch on to what you're saying, try to put themselves in your shoes and really see the possibilities, not necessarily in a sales role, although, sure, in a sales role, but just a lot of the things you're saying are so important and relevant in corporate America relative to being in the military. So, Man, what a what a pleasure! Uh, what a this is definitely the bright spot of the week, and I I really appreciate your time, your your enthusiasm, your experience. Uh, it's been a real real treat to visit with you today. Yeah, thanks for thanks for inviting me on. Pete. I really really had a really had fun doing this. Thanks again for joining in on the conversation with Aaron Carter. Hopefully a lot of what he was saying and his experiences really resonate with uh, what you've been thinking about or perhaps learned something new that you can go and apply at work or in your transition. Stay tuned for our next episode. On Monday, September 21st, we're going to launch another episode. My colleague Joel Junker is going to interview Eric Robichaud. Eric uh, transitioned through this program a number of years back, and he's a GM at Love's Travel Stop. And he talks a lot about promotion and navigating some of the some of the intricacies of uh, moving up in an organization in corporate America. So you definitely want to stay tuned for that. Again, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.